Uh, all right. Should we should we introduce our podcast? I think we should. Okay. Welcome. All right. Welcome. Nope. Nope. <laughs> you do it. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch. Bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Welcome to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Welcome. This is a weekly podcast where we talk to you about ladies. Damn straight. And yep. And that's, that's that. For here and there, then and now, all around the place. Yep. All around the place. The place being the earth. I I like that. I think. Oh that's shit! Do it. you have an intro? You know, I don't. Um, I was actually I was thinking we could keep it a little cash because I was curious about what seeing Elizabeth Warren was like the other night because you got to see oh. her. So I kind of was hoping you would just tell me a little bit about that. Oh yeah, because I didn't sure. hear. I didn't know. I didn't know you were going to be there until you sent me the selfie, and then I kind of had you know a little a little moment. Uh, an envy moment. Yeah. I was envious of myself in that moment. It was very surreal. Um, yeah. At, but OK, so um, Monday the 16th was my birthday. Happy birthday. And <laughs> Thanks. And I um, uh, it's also Mexican Independence Day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's my birthday. Uh, but um I flew in from California that day on a red eye flight um, because I had gone to a wedding this past weekend. Yep. And or that weekend, I guess. Um, and uh, so I got in at 430 in the morning, took a cab home because I needed to make sure I got at least a little nap before I tried to plow forward with my day. So I went to work. I also had an audition randomly. Um, oh, cool. A lot going on. And so I had emailed my boss when um, I learned that Elizabeth Warren was going to be there. And I just RSVP'd on a whim because I was like, the doors open at four. It's not that terribly far from my work. And this is a historic moment. And if I can go, I would like to. Yeah. And she agreed, which was amazing. Yeah. So um, Alex is here now um, in New York and he went with me. And I think he's mainly the reason why I got to have that selfie. Oh. Because I didn't have, uh, yeah, I didn't have the patience. So in the RSVP, <laughs> they asked if there was any, like, um, special assistance or anything that they should be aware of. And, you know, I'm really glad that I did because it was a crowd of 20,000 people. Yeah. So it was like Washington Square Park was a fucking sardine can full of people. And that stresses me out enough as it is. I don't, I'm not a fan of that. Yeah. So when we went, we started talking to the staffers and they were like, oh, you're with somebody with disability, then come sit in the disability section. And I was like, yes, please. Yeah. So we got to sit in the front row, but on the side. But so I was literally like 30 feet from Elizabeth Warren while she was speaking. When she was waving, she looked at me and waved at me. <laughs> and um, it was the most surreal experience. And it was actually amazing to um, feel hopeful for the first time in a long time. Oh, my God. About politics, because even yeah. there's just all this infighting going on right now in the Democratic primary as it happens. That's normal. But it's just like I'm so sick and fucking tired of feeling overwhelmed and 
and negative and all these things. And she really just chose to focus on the positive um, to a degree. Um, right. I mean, obviously, you have to address the elephant in the room, which is our corrupt ass president. Yep. And um, she, you know, was saying how we needed to start um giving democracy back to the people again. And she was making all these comparisons to actually turn of the century, last century, where there was a lot of monopolies and a lot of like steel barons and oil barons and things like that. And they all had a ton of money and the workers' rights were taken away. Like they didn't have any rights. Like labor movement was not a thing at all. They just like worked all um, day, every day, basically. Like children. Yeah, there were no laws against, you know, child labor. Yeah. And, um... And there were no safety uh, rights in place. So she talked about the triangle shirt coat fire um, in which it was like all women and children who were trapped on the sixth floor of a building when it caught fire because they didn't keep it properly clean. Like there was grease on the floors and things like that. And uh, the managers and the bosses would lock the doors so that people wouldn't steal product and wouldn't take breaks. Oh my God. And so they were trapped on the sixth floor of this building as it burned and a bunch of people died and it uh, inspired a lot of safety laws and, you know, workers' rights and unions and things like that. Yeah. Which things that are all things we need again today because the workers are not being given what they deserve. You know, a minimum wage job is supposed to be able to support you living by yourself with a family. Right. And that's not, you can't even afford to live by yourself. No. And, any, and so especially many, not in New York. So many minimum wage jobs are grueling physically. I mean, they are yeah. horribly difficult to do every single day. And you get yeah. nothing for it. Right. And too many people are bogged down in debt. And yeah. it's just, it, it, just the fact that, you know, Washington is essentially in the pockets of the people with the most money. Right. And the fact that um, congressmen, once they uh, finish their terms or are voted out of office or whatever, frequently they will get jobs as lobbyists. (laughs) And so it's just like there's a lot of financial corruption and, and all these people who are making a ton of money who are able to turn our country essentially into an oligarchy instead of a democracy and she wants to bust through that. And so it was really, it was really awesome to um, feel like she had those plans. There's, there's something very special about her. I think in that she, she was a teacher and you can tell she's a teacher. So she has that sort of approachability of a teacher, but still the sternness and the, the commanding of a room yeah, of a teacher, right? <laughs> you know, like a good teacher. I love that about her. And, and she stuck around. She does this for every event. And she sticks around to take selfies with literally any and all who want to. And she was there Insane. for like five hours taking selfies after her event. And I was lucky enough to be at the front of that line being in the disability section. So we were able to take a picture and go have dinner and then go pass the fuck out because I had been awake since <laughs> right. ungodly hours. And so and and. To me, and of course, I don't want to jinx shit, so I'm like knocking on wood here, but wouldn't it be fucking amazing if I got to shake hands with the first female president of the United States? Oh, my God. 
I've never met a politician before. Not really. Me neither. Especially not one. She's a senator. Yep. A, a, a sitting senator. And already she's doing great work. And I, I just, you know, all I could really get out was Senator Warren, it is such an honor to meet you. And then I introduced her to Alex and she like guided him. She like held his hand and she guided him. She's like, why don't you come stand by me? And she's oh. like, we're going to need you guys to help. We're going to need your help. All the help we can get. And I was like, okay, you got it. <laughs> oh, God. I loved hearing those stories because I, yeah. I listened to um, The Daily, which talked a little mm. bit about the the rally and kind of some of the history behind like why she stayed there for four hours doing taking selfies. And... Um, and She's they, a real woman of the people, yeah. I'll tell you that. And that shouldn't be so, like, shocking, but we've, we have become so separated from our politicians and our representatives that, like, yeah. you know, we don't, we don't have anyone doing that right now. Right. Well, I mean, and I certainly <laughs> understand, now being 31 years old, the thought of standing and meeting thousands of strangers for hours. No, thank you. Mm-mm. I, I completely understand the person who's like, I have my limit and then I have to leave. She will stay for as long as she needs to to say hi to everybody who wants to see her. Yeah. That's fucking crazy. She She's 70 like, years old. She's the and most she insane looks amazing, amount of energy. that's beside the point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's beside the point. But when I learned she was 70, I was like, No. <laughs> like, that's not true. No. That can't be possible. <laughs> yeah. I learned that but. the other day, too. And it was um, a little mind blowing. I don't know. Especially, she's just, I don't know. You can just tell she's so fucking smart. And she's so compassionate. Yeah. And that's, again, feeling hope for the first time. And I don't want to jinx it because I have a tendency to, (laughs) but I have a tendency to be over cynical too. So it's like I I go back and forth. But it was awesome. That's, I I love that story. I mean, and I, I agree with you on like, it's easy to be cynical about it because we've had a lot to be cynical about over the last you know few years. And it years. was a rug getting yanked out from underneath us when Trump won in the first place. Yep. Yep. And that's like that's another thing she pointed out too where she said um, uh, because Biden keeps saying you know like once we get Trump out then we can work on like that's it. That's yeah. going to help. That's going to solve the problem. And she was like no. A country that can allow a man like Donald Trump to get elected in the first place is already in trouble. Yeah. Ugh. And like, yeah, no, he didn't win the popular vote, but he did win the election. So. Yeah. And that's our country. That's the format of our country. So we've got to talk about that and acknowledge that. Yeah. 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 I think what you said about her being a teacher is uh, is like so important because somebody uh, somebody was tweeting. I should I should see if I can find the tweet. But somebody was tweeting after the last debate, which uh, we watched in its entirety. Which oh my god, um, how, like they were talking about how amazing it is that still nobody goes after her and she doesn't really end up debating anybody on that stage. Like she say she says what she needs to say. Nobody can hold a candle to her. Yeah, and so they said the tweet said that everyone else is debating and Elizabeth Warren is teaching. How do you debate that? How do you how do you engage somebody who is there to like teach the country what they need and what they're missing in in a catty debate? You're just not going to do it. And that's no. one of the things about her that is really special 
And I didn't know how to quantify it until I read that. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. I had just never thought about it that way. But then I watched her on Colbert a couple of days ago, and she was talking about, and in fact, we should probably do this person, but she was talking about the woman who is responsible Frances for- Frances Perkins, I know. Yeah. She's talking about the, the labor union. She's Wait. already on my list. Okay. Good, good. Because she talked about her on the thing, and that's why I didn't bring it up just now. Oh, I'm but sorry. You're... Well, we'll do it at a point when no one remembers we said this. Ha <laughs> ha. So, yeah, I just she really is a special person. And I when you sent me that selfie, I just about flipped my shit because it was so cool. So it's I, on my it's on my Instagram. But I feel like when we put post this episode, we should. Oh, post yeah. It. That's a good idea. Yeah. To yeah. The, to the podcast. That is a really good idea. We'll do that because it is. It's just yeah. it's such a great photo. And uh, she's it awesome. is a really good photo. And I God, it's just so cool. And so it was amazing. I'm so happy for you for that one of yep. us got to do that. <laughs> Thank you for indulging me. You're welcome. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively oh, yeah. for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Do you want to get us started with our, our very first person from Latinx Heritage Month? Yes, ma'am. I do. We I think we missed one episode, like one week for a potential episode, but we're busy. Like Because we were supposed to tape <laughs> the weekend I went to that wedding and Oh yeah. I was I mean, out of I was out of the state and then you were out of the state the week before that. Yeah. So, so. we we've it's been a little while, but so yeah. So we're getting back on track and uh, this week, I want to tell you about Carmen Contreras Bozak. And oh, okay. it's it's not a name I had I had ever heard before, but I was on Twitter because I am often on Twitter and like uh, you do like you do. And one of the um, Puerto Rican Congress Congresswomen, Jennifer Gonzalez, tweeted about her. Oh, and. Carmen Contreras Bozak was the first, uh, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Hispanic because that's what her tweet is, but I think Latinx is technically a more um, acceptable term these days. She uh, was the first Puerto Rican woman to join the U.S. Army and serve in World War II. Oh. And uh, yeah, I thought that that was like worth looking into and there uh, isn't actually a ton about her but I've always been interested in the women's uh, army auxiliary corps which I, I think they also just called whack for a long time they just called it you know <laughs> <laughs> which I love sure um, but in part because of a lot of the 
differences between how the women who joined this corps were treated versus the men being deployed to war. Um, right. So it's interesting some of the things that she experienced as a result of that. There were a bunch of different units and corps, and um, WAC was the army one. They were all very similar, and um, they all had their own problems. I think the wasps that you're talking about only just got the right a couple of years ago to be buried in Arlington yep. Cemetery, which is crazy. Um, yep. So, yeah, so, so so she was part of that at, at this time when people were trying to figure out how to involve women in the war effort. Yeah, where they were like, well, yeah, you can be a part of this, but, like, you're obviously not as uh, honorable and you aren't doing as, as much work as right. the men. Right, so, exactly. You know. Yeah, that's exactly it. That was exactly what happened. So Carmen was the oldest of three siblings born and raised in the town of Calle, Puerto Rico. Her mother raised Carmen and her siblings all by herself. Her parents got divorced when she was young and her dad kind of took off. So um, when she was... Cool. Yeah. When she was a kid, her mom moved the whole family to New York and she attended high school there. And after she graduated, she went to work for the National Youth Administration. Uh, and then she worked what for, I don't really know. I, I didn't, um, I didn't get a chance to look it up, but I was more interested in the fact that she then moved on to working for the war department in Washington, DC. Oh. And she was just a payroll clerk, but she became incredibly patriotic after this position. And it was, it was her first look into how the war was going and what the war effort looked like. And she wanted to be part of it. And she loved her country. And so, yeah, so she was, she was involved at a time when the women, Women's Auxiliary Corps was not yet established, but she wanted to know how to get involved. So the okay. Women's Army Auxiliary Corps was established on May 15th, 1942, for the, quote, purpose of making available to the national defense the knowledge, skill, and special training of the women of the nation. Great. Um, yeah, and so that was obviously very appealing. Um, whack history is interesting because it was originally established, as, as I've mentioned, as an auxiliary corps. Right. So it was adjacent to the army, not in the army. It wasn't actually technically part of in terms of how they saw these women as fighters, soldiers, you know, right. military officers, whatever. And they, and they certainly weren't seeing combat. Right. And, um, yeah, so they were basically like, we need you to be next to the army, assisting the army and facilitating their effort, but not in it. And so women were trained in special skills that were needed to fight in the war, uh, like switchboard operating they mm -hmm, did a mm -hmm. lot of cryptography like decoding um decoding stuff and um yeah so they were trained in a lot of in a lot of what i think they considered administrative skills but that were still specialized right and uh they still as a result were not afforded the same military status as men and it's interesting because Roosevelt, I think part of the reason is they just didn't think they would have women volunteer. 
they thought they were going to have like 11,000 women sign up. And then Roosevelt started kind of putting putting an ear out and was like, maybe more like 25. Like, that's a good that's mm-hmm. a good number. That's probably what we'll get. They ended up having women a, don't want to be doing this anyway. Right. And like, so, what does patriotism says mean FDR, to them? Even though his wife is one of the most powerhouse women in history. Right. Cool. Right. They ended up having 150,000 women volunteer in the first year which they were not prepared for. Like, they just did not think that women had any interest in in assisting with the war. Interesting. And, uh, in fact, and I don't know whether this was, like, a a concentrated effort, like, uh, intentional on the part of pissed-off dudes or what, but there was a a slander campaign that sort of started around this, around 1943, that slowed recruitment significantly because it was basically like this gossip going around saying, oh, if you're a part of whack, you're a whore. Like you are. Um, yeah. Like what? Like women, women who join whack are just sex fiends. What the fuck? And because women didn't want that, that reputation. Why? Because why? if you're joining the war effort, then you're traveling and you are not married and you're just doing it so you can go meet meet a, bun- a bunch of soldiers and hot dudes. Like, that's the that's the idea behind. Yeah. I wish you could put in the podcast how far back my eyes rolled <laughs> into my head just now. I know. So, yeah. So that was the that was the organization that she was entering into. But you know, she was incredibly patriotic, and I don't think that that really phased her very much. And at the time that she was leaving the War Department as a payroll clerk, there were new roles that were coming into WAC, and they were looking specifically for Hispanic and Latin American women, basically people who were bilingual or could speak uh. more than one language. And... In the 1940s, Hispanic women were often discouraged within their own communities from taking on roles outside domestic life, but she just was not into that. She was ready to go help the war. And so she saw she saw her call as, as a patriot more important at that time. So during that period, the Army was looking for bilingual women to fill assignments in fields such as cryptology, communications, and interpretation. And this was a period of time where they were intercepting a lot of coded messages and, you know, letters and things like that. And they needed people to go in and decode them and decipher them and translate them. And men, obviously, were on the battlefield. So women were sort of the obvious choice for that. And uh, she joined well, the they needed as many men as possible for World War II. Right. Uh, yeah, with I mean, our volunteer army, like, yep, they needed they needed everybody, which was kind yep. of like, you know, I think that was FDR's thing, and probably uh, supported by Eleanor in that endeavor was like, yeah, women have the ability to to help with all of this shit, and they should, and we should be asking them to, mm. um, and just nobody really anticipated the the uh, amount. So she joined WAC in 1942, and she was sent to Fort Lee, Virginia, for training. 
she volunteered to be part of the 149th WAC Post Headquarters Company, which would be the first to go overseas. Uh, and she set sail oh. from New York to for Europe in January of 1943. Oh. Yeah, and this made her the first person of Hispanic and Latin American heritage and the first of approximately 200 Puerto, Re- Puerto Rican women who would ultimately serve in the Women's Army Corps during World War II. Whoa. Yeah, so she was the first. And uh, she arrived in North Africa, and she was assigned, obviously, not as a typist or a stenographer, like many women at the time who were sent over, but to the Signal Corps, which was sending and receiving coded messages between Dwight Eisenhower's headquarters in Algiers and the battlefield, where Mm. um, they often came under German fire in Tunisia. So Yikes. she was, yeah, so she and her and her group were in Tunisia, often under fire, sending coded messages to Eisenhower, and basically just, you know, trying to trying to keep that shit going in the middle of a war. Wow. So there was an article I found, oh, I should cite my sources at the end of this but there was an article that I found that had a few that they basically talked to her they interviewed her before her death in um, oh shit yeah and she recalled that during her 18 months overseas she witnessed four air raids and the dropping of a bomb near one of the group residences her group lived in a four-story apartment house across the street from Eisenhower's headquarters and before that they lived in a con convent and later in a museum (laughs) So okay. they just kind of like uh, traveled in, in this pack and took up wherever they could, pretty much. Uh, she said that she and one of her friends seldom sought cover like the rest of the women in her unit whenever there was an air raid or, you know, crazy, what? crazy things happening. Instead, they liked to go up on the roof of the hotel where they worked nights to watch the artillery fire. That's... <laughs> Not the wisest choice. (laughs) She said, we were never afraid. Some girls were scared, but I never was. That's how young and foolish I was. (laughs) Oh, good. At least she realized later. Yeah, later on. Yeah, that was that was not the brightest move. But young people, man. Yeah. Young people. She was like, I was bold, but I don't really uh, condone that behavior. Um, So the women who served abroad were, as we've talked about, not treated like regular army servicemen. They did not receive overseas payment, nor could they receive government life insurance. These women had no protection if they became ill, wounded, or captured. I'm sorry, what? (laughs) If captured, the women were considered as, quote, auxiliaries serving with the army rather than in it and did not have the same protections under international law as male soldiers. And if they became wounded, they didn't have the insurance to be able to... Yep. No VA hospitals. No insurance. Oh, my God. And they were volunteers. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, like, even doubly ridiculous. Excuse me for screaming, but Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. So um, these were the factors that the Army took into consideration when they decided to finally integrate the Women's Corps into the regular Army. So they finally did do it. But she had been... Um, overseas for like eight months by the time they finally did it. And wow. it, it finally established the Women's Army Corps as integral to the Army of the United States. 
and became effective in September of 1943. Finally, women can actually be useful. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And maybe they could get injured doing this thing for their country. And maybe they will need a hospital. Maybe we should take care of them, too. Yeah. Uh, So she was promoted to the rank of technical sergeant, which in today's army would equal the rank of sergeant. She also received the European African Middle Eastern Campaign Medal, two battle stars, a World War II Victory Medal, an American Campaign Medal, a WAC Service Medal, and the Good Conduct Medal throughout her time in the army. What does good conduct mean? She just wasn't a dick? I think it just means she just wasn't a dick. (laughs) Which I appreciate. I like that there's a medal for that. (laughs) If that's what it really is. Um, Don't be shitty. Don't be shitty. So after returning home, she entered the Valley Forge General Hospital in 1945 for the treatment of an eye infection, which she had contracted in North Africa. Uh Uh-oh. Yep. Yep. So good thing she finally had that insurance. Yeah. And that was where she met Theodore John Bozak, a wounded soldier recovering from combat, who would then become her husband. What a cliche. I know. But it's so (laughs) accurate in their case. I know. That's exactly what it is. I'm injured. You're injured. Like, we can cuddle a little, you know. So. A noodle. Yeah. In the hospital. Yeah. They had a couple kids. They went and moved to Fort Lauderdale and yeah I don't know that's where they wanted to be isn't there a base there I don't know why are you asking me I don't know I thought (laughs) well I don't know I know there's one in Savannah oh because I lived there well look at you and Um, the rangers would all (laughs) go to the bars at night and be dicks they were not getting good conduct medals not good conduct medals for the rangers (laughs) Bummer dudes. They're hot shit. (laughs) No, they're not. So they thought. So they thought. Um, So, yeah. So she worked at the post office and as a real estate broker, and she started a chapter of WAC Veterans. Oh. And in 1998, founded a chapter of the Society of Military Widows. Just makes me sad. She moved to Tampa, where she resided uh, until her death. In January 2017, at the age of oh. 97. 97. Yeah. She lived a ni- nice long life. Yeah, especially since she was going up and not hiding during air raids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Of all the ways, of all the ways she could get injured and have to utilize it her, it's an eye infection. So dumb. Um, she's buried in Arlington National Cemetery next to her husband. And that's that. That's Carmen Contreras Bozak, first Puerto Rican woman to basically join the army or at least go overseas for the army. Wow. I know. What what a cool story. I know. And I kind of thought that it was important to highlight her because I think there is a lot of confusion right now about About Puerto Rico Rico. being part of America. Yeah. And... They have been for a very long time, and there are hundreds, if not thousands, of patriotic Puerto Ricans who went to war in World War II and wars beyond World War II for the United States. You know, uh, they're just as American as 
any other state. And it felt like it felt like a good story to highlight that. That's awesome. So I think that is important. Thank you. I agree. Yay. Thank you. Yeah. (laughs) You have some on this days as well. I do. In 1513, September 25th, Spanish conquistador and explorer Vasco Nunez de Balboa standing, quote, silent upon a peak in Darien on the uh, Isthmus. I can never say this word. Isthmus? Isthmus. I can't say that word. But you know what I'm talking about. Of Panama. Yes. Isthmus. Isthmus. (laughs) Shit. Isthmus. Became the first European to sight the Pacific Ocean. Oh, hello. (laughs) Oh, hello. There you are. Yeah, first European, probably, to sight the Pacific Ocean. As far as we know, he was the first person to talk about it in 1513. Those Vikings were all over the place, man. You never know. Well, that's true. They just didn't tell anyone. 1789, U.S. Congress proposes the Bill of Rights. Sweet. Yep, yep. This one I... Important. Yeah, I mean, you know, a little. Set, set, 17... Se- se- 17, 1789. Yeah. That's when uh, Thomas Jefferson shows up in Hamilton, the musical. 1789. Oh, good for you knowing your history. <laughs> or something. Um, knowing my musical theater. Mm-hmm, yeah, because I've never seen Hamilton. And I haven't listened to it either because I don't want to be sad about not having seen Hamilton. September 25th, 1919. I just thought this was funny. Woodrow Wilson, the president at the time, suffers a breakdown in Colorado and his health never recovers. So much for that Colorado air, huh? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Um, This felt relevant to our Elizabeth Warren discussion because in 1926, Henry Ford announces an eight hour, five day work week. Yeah, it's because of the workers rights shit that we have a weekend. Yes, ma'am. Uh, 1981 Sandra Day O'Connor becomes the first female U.S. Supreme Court justice oh really Mm -hmm. yep that was uh, on this day on this day 1981 wow yep yep all right Sandy yeah and uh, well I'm gonna make this my last one because the other one that I have here is depressing and this one's better cool 2017, the first ever female graduate from the U.S. Marine Corps Infantry Officer Course. First ever female graduate. and relevant. I thought so, too. Thank you very much. But I can't believe that was only two years ago. I know. Well, that's... Your face. Your face just now. (laughs) Because there was... What happened to make that, to open that up? Because it wasn't open to women before. And that was why. Um, but yeah, I, I'm shit at that kind of knowledge. Cause eh, that's all right. I just remember reading an article at one point. Um, I also, I don't normally remember to include, uh, births and deaths, but I thought this one was funny because Catherine Zeta Jones and Michael Douglas were both born today and they're married. Oh, <laughs> happy birthday to them both. I know. Except he was 1944 and she's 1969. Yep. Yep, yep. And this one is important because we've covered her. But Wangari Mathai, 
Yeah. Kenyan politician and environmental activist. She, who was the first black African woman to win a Nobel Prize, um, died in Nairobi in 2014. Did I get that right? I think. Oh, shoot. Nope. I cut off the date, but I think that's what it was. 2014. I'll, yeah. I'll look it up and see if it's right. But Wangari Mathai, I think she was like episode four mm-hmm. of yeah. the podcast, one of the first women we did. And she's still one of my like absolute favorites. Yeah, she was incredible. Especially now that we're like uh, super focusing on climate and protecting environment and all of that. And that was her whole work. Yeah. But also using that as a, a reason to find jobs for women. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, anyway, you look at um, Greta Thunberg's climate strike just a couple days ago. I mean, that's mm-hmm. all it was sort huge of, here in the city. Yeah. Yeah. Like too big for me to be comfortable. No, it's not. It's yeah. It seemed overwhelming to me and I was at work anyway and things have been crazy at work, but I yeah. was there in spirit. Yeah. And obviously I do plenty for the environment myself as an individual. Yes, you do. Because I am vegan, so, and I'm mindful yep. of other stuff too. But you know, that's the a veganism big, that's is a, a, big, a big contributor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it it really is bigger than people realize. I think bigger than people who buy a fucking hybrid car. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. I like how you're and batting your eyelashes all smugly at me. I'm sorry. You don't eat meat. It's true. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that smug at you. No, I I'm just mean like, in you know, we're we're on the same page. I yeah. understand the smugness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's it. That's that on this day. Yeah. And uh, what are you excited about? Um, I'm excited about games. I know I know that we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but um, Alex and I have been on a real game kick lately. So we, as a, a early birthday present to myself, I ordered them. It's, you probably get ads for it as a person who listens to true crime podcasts and things. Mm. But there's this um, episodic game called Hunt a Killer. Oh, this sounds where, familiar. Yeah. So it, you sign up for a subscription and they send you a box every month that is an episode to um, a case where it's like, so we just worked on the first box last night where it's like um, you are tasked um, by this private investigator who's working on this case. She's like, hey, I got your name from blah, blah. And they said you might, you'd be really instrumental in helping me solve this. Here's all the, you know, evidence I have so far. There's like witness statements. There's a letter from the sheriff and it all looks like photocopied and it just it looks really realistic there's a map we have this massive map with all the locations and the suspect list and stuff like that and then um you're theoretically supposed to be able to eliminate a suspect from your suspect list every episode if you pay attention to the clues and we think we did last night and the other box is already shipped so we're excited this is fascinating i have never heard of anything like this it's really exciting and cool. And um, it's like, it's, you know, you would get Where in the World is Carmen San Diego subscriptions as a kid. It's, it's like a similar sort mm. of you're solving a mystery. Oh. But this is the adult version where it's you're solving a fucking murder case. That's a, a fictionalized event. That sounds and, awesome. Yeah. And then we bought um, 
this game, which it's called House of Danger, and it's a choose-your-own-adventure game. It's a cooperative adventure game, and it's basically like a choose-your-own-adventure book, but in game form. Oh, okay. And we haven't tried that one yet, but... Oh, God, excuse me. Um, we... <laughs> We are going to try tonight the a game we bought yesterday called Horrified, which is based off of um, Universal Classic Monsters. So it's basically you all you it's a cooperative game again. And I told you how much I've been really enjoying cooperative games where everybody who's playing works together to defeat an objective as opposed to competing with one another. Right. Like those are really fun games to play. And this one, it's basically you all uh, you're assigned a role like we've already done all this. Alex is going to be the investigator. I'm the explorer, which I'd like to point out on these cards. There are seven roles, uh, and four of them are women illustrated on the thing. Hey, hey. Which makes me really excited. And um, the there's one that's pink and one that's purple as their color scheme, and they're both the dudes. I love that. <laughs> but anyway, that's just a minor thing. But it's it's so you have the you have your job and you can pick how many monsters you want to have on the board. We're starting at the novice level. So we're going to be fighting Dracula and the creature from the Black Lagoon. Hello, episode, whatever the fuck, where we talked about oh, yeah. her uh, who yeah. created that monster. Yeah. Um, I can't remember right at this exact moment, but you all know. Look it up. I'll it's find pretty it great. and put it in the show notes. Um, but so there's like a, a whole map where you move around and you have different tasks. You're saving villagers. And the goal is to uh, each monster has a different task. So like for Dracula, you have to um, destroy four coffins of his, which are around the map. And you have to collect weapons in order to do that. And the creature from the Black Lagoon, there's like a little water map where you have to <laughs> find his lair and then drive him away. This but then there's so also like... Yeah, the Invisible Man. There's um, Frankenstein's monster and his bride. Um, there is the Wolf Man. There is a mummy. It's just, it's like, it's. I'm really excited to play it. So I'm, I'll, I'll let you know and report back. Yeah, please do. Because I think that's one of the things about board games that, I don't know, tends to not super appeal to me. Is that is just this like, I don't know, you have to... You have to beat each other up, basically, yeah. in order to win. Yeah. And people yeah. get mad and, you know, people get upset. It's just like, I don't know. This sounds like the next level of board games. And I uh, feel like it's really common now. I, um, I guess I'm not super. I don't I don't play a lot of board games. So I'm yeah. not We've familiar. We've had enough game nights at our apartment that we have way too many fucking games. Um, some of them are cooperative, some of them are not, but, um, they're really fun. There's like forbidden desert, um, and forbidden Island and forbidden sky. And all of those are cooperative as well, where you're trying to collect artifacts from like forbidden Island. It's like this old Island. You're all like an archeological team trying to collect artifacts before the Island, uh, floods completely and goes underwater and like all right. the map starts to disappear. Anyway. I'm excited for games. It's, like, I it's mean, been... there's a lot of storytelling happening yeah. in them. Like you're, you're engaging in some very like layered storytelling. Yeah. Which absolutely. I love. That sounds, that just sounds engaging. It sounds really fun. Yeah. So. All right. Anyway. Well, I love it. Thanks. Uh, I guess I could let you like go play your game now or something, you know, if you want. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I'm gonna. <laughs> All right. Well, 
guys, thanks for listening. And if you are, you know, interested in us and you don't already know that our social media is at GWBB podcast all over the place, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Facebook. Facebook, then go check us out. And we also accept emails at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. If you've got ladies you want us to talk about, let us know. You can become a patron of ours. Uh, our Patreon is uh, patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast. Shocker. Or if you want to do a one-time donation, um, you can give us a coffee on our Ko-Fi. That's ko-fi.com uh, slash gwbbpodcast. Correct. Correct, Amundo. Uh, otherwise, we will see you next time, guys. Peace out, Bye. witches. Bye. Thank you for listening to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com. We love to receive emails. If you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air, uh, shoot it over to us. We would love to read it. If you want to help keep us running, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast. <laughs> Become a patron and help us you know, pay for our hosting. Yeah, Patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content. And it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast. And it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out. If you like it, you can be a part of it. Also, to help us out, you can rate, review, and subscribe. All of, the, all of those things are extremely helpful for us. They help other listeners find us. Yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moonbounce. Moonbounce.